And as you are doing that, or as some of you are doing that, the rest of you can be turning to Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1. We're looking at one verse this morning, if you can believe it. We'll be looking at multiple verses, but we're going to be really focusing on uh, verse 1 of chapter 28. speaks of boldness. When's the last time you've read a book about boldness or gone to a conference on boldness or watched a YouTube video on boldness, heard a sermon on boldness? Maybe some of you have. You know, there are such things out there. A lot of the time, though, this boldness is the kind of boldness you might use to go before God to tell Him what you want, to fulfill your dreams and your desires. It's not a godly kind of boldness. Really, frankly, boldness is the forgotten Christian virtue. Gone, it seems, are the days when God's people were characterized by boldness. We think of Moses, who didn't fear the wrath of the king, when he spoke judgment to Pharaoh or when he when he delivered Israel from Egypt, Caleb and Joshua, when they courageously faced rebellion among God's people and did the right thing anyways, Elijah, when he challenged wicked King Ahab and his prophets, the apostles and the early Christians who preached the gospel in the midst of significant opposition. Paul, who not only stood undaunted before hostile governors but who also had the courage to correct an erring apostle when he was walking out of step with the gospel. What about Martin Luther when he risked life and limb to uphold justification by faith in a land dominated by the Roman Catholic Church? Or many others in church history who spoke and lived with boldness for the truth. We would do well to remember our predecessors, I think, at this point, because boldness, true, godly boldness, seems to be a thing of the past. But because we are also swimming in a culture of pseudo-courage and fake boldness, typically expressed as outrage over personal and perceived offenses, and because it's true that even with those with sinful and self-centered ambitions can live boldly, we must revisit this important topic and recapture this virtue for the church of Christ with some serious study into what boldness really is. What does it mean to be bold? What is boldness? Our text says that the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. What is boldness? Before we can even answer this question, we must first look at our verse today and ask rather, who are the righteous? If you want to look with me again, says the wicked flee when no one pursues but the righteous are as bold as a lion the first thing we need to ask before we ask what is boldness is we have to ask who are the righteous and who are the wicked because it's the righteous who are bold as a lion the best way to answer that question is to look at the context of proverbs and to answer who are the righteous and who are the wicked within that book and see how this particular book talks about the righteous and the wicked Who are the righteous? Who are as bold as a lion? This book will tell us. And as we gain insight into who are the wicked and who are the righteous, we will gain insight also into what it means to be bold. So let's start with who are the righteous. The righteous are 
bold as a lion. Well, who are they? Who are the righteous in Proverbs? In the book of Proverbs, the righteous are, first and foremost, those who trust and fear the Lord. Proverbs 18.10 says this, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. In the Proverbs, it is the faith and the God-word orientation of the righteous that grounds their lives. The fear that they fear the Lord, so they're able to gain spiritual wisdom. We see that in Proverbs one seven. The beginning, uh, or the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. They fear the Lord, so they turn away from evil. That's Proverbs eight thirteen. They trust the Lord, so their path is straight. That's Proverbs three five and six. In other words, the righteous are those who are right before God because of their trust in Him, and and their personal lives reflect the commandments and wisdom of this holy God whom they fear. So that's who the righteous are. The righteous are not those who just have a right standing with God, but they are those who have a right standing with God and those who reflect that right standing with how they live. And we see what's taught in the Old Testament and made even clear in the New Testament. What does God do to declare us righteous? Well, in the New Testament, it becomes clear. In the Old Testament, it's the same means. It's by faith alone And we're given the ultimate means here in the New Testament because God provides us with a gift of righteousness through faith in Christ alone and gives us right standing with him apart from our works. Our guilt is taken away through the wrath and guilt bearing sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But this right standing through the righteousness of Jesus Christ always, always, always leads to a life of practical righteousness. And that's what you see in the Proverbs. The righteous person is the one who walks according to the word of God. Who are the righteous? First and foremost, they're those who fear and trust in the Lord. But this fear and trust in the Lord always bears the fruit of a righteous life in a practical sense. Here, just listen to how the righteous are described throughout the Proverbs. The righteous don't trust in their riches. That's Proverbs eleven twenty eight. The righteous think upon good and righteous things. That's Proverbs twelve five. The righteous are content with what they have and they don't envy others. That's Proverbs 12, 12 and Proverbs 13, 25. The righteous guard their tongue. That's Proverbs 12, 13. The righteous hate falsehood and they speak what is true when right and good. That's Proverbs um, 12, uh, 13, 5. Due to their right standing with God and due to their good conscience they have cultivated through this life, they don't fear death. That's Proverbs 14, 32. The righteous walk in their integrity. That's Proverbs 20, verse 7. The righteous have the ability to rightly perceive justice. Proverbs 21, 15. The righteous are generous. That's Proverbs 21, 26. The righteous persevere through trials and even personal mistakes, getting up when they are knocked down. That's Proverbs 24, 15. So the righteous are those who fear the Lord and trust in Him and then reflect that fear and trust in how they live in an intensely practical sense. And throughout the Proverbs, they are often, oftentimes in the same verse, they're contrasted with the wicked. So we've seen who the righteous are. Now let's hear about the wicked. Who are they? Well, just like the righteous, the fruit of the righteous life flows from where they put their trust and where they put their fear. Same with the, the wicked. The wicked do not fear the Lord. They do not trust the Lord. And therefore, they live in a way that's contrary to His holiness and his righteousness, and his goodness. The root is bad, so the fruit is bad with the, the wicked. 
consider these proverbs that describe the wicked. Their lives are characterized by spiritual confusion. That's Proverbs 4.19. They get caught in their own iniquities. Proverbs 5.22 and 11.5. The heart of the wicked, wicked meditates in their, on wicked things and their, pour, their mouth pours forth worthless things. That's Proverbs 10.20 and 10.32 and 15.28. Their lives are cut short due to their sinfulness. There's a lot more. I'm going to keep going here. You'll notice this list is a little bit longer than the righteous. The wicked conduct deceptive business practices. That's Proverbs 18 or 11, 18. The thoughts of the wicked are characterized by deceitfulness. That's Proverbs 12, 5. The wicked desire to harm others. That's Proverbs 12, 6. The wicked are characterized by cruelty. That's Proverbs 12, 10. Actually, in that text, it's referring to cruelty to animals. Interestingly enough, the wicked lead others astray. Proverbs 12, 26. The wicked are discontent with what they have, Proverbs 13.25. The wicked are, uh, the lives of the wicked are characterized by constant trouble. We'll talk about that in a moment. That's Proverbs 12.21. The wicked cannot find religious acceptance before God, before their creator. That's Proverbs 15.8 and 9. That's why when you're caught up in a false religion, no matter what you do, you can't find enough ritual to satisfy that burdened conscience. You can't find acceptance with your creator the wicked compromise their convictions and accept bribes the wicked desire evil they're unable to persevere through trials and there's no hope for their eternal future that's how the proverbs describe the wicked in a very practical sense their lack of fear of god and their lack of trust in god flows out into these various vices and troubles but if you're here this morning and you consider yourself a relatively good person, and you're not caught up in a number of these vices that I've just listed, please hear me. If you're not humbly trusting in Jesus Christ, you do not fear the Lord. You do not fear God. And to not fear the Lord is to reject the Lord. Your relative adherence to some of the proverbial wisdom that we find in Scripture or to a moral standard you determine works for you will not rescue from the wrath of God that you so richly deserve for rejecting His Son. If you're without Christ this morning, the Scripture actually classifies you as wicked and God's wrath burns against you. It doesn't matter how religious you are. But Scripture also calls you to repent this morning. Christ calls you to turn from your wickedness Because in Christ, listen, because in Christ you will find abundant pardon. He has died on the cross and risen from the dead so that your wickedness can be forgiven. He opens the doors for you to trust in Him and His perfect death on your behalf and His righteousness so that you can have pardon with God apart from your works. Once you understand the holiness of God and understand where you are in terms of your own heart and life, you will recognize that it's impossible to satisfy this holy God with your self-atoning works. You need the atonement of another. You need the covering of another. You need the righteousness of another. And that is only found in Jesus Christ. And so I would just beckon you this morning, if that is not you, if you are without Christ and you consider yourself a relatively good person that you would recognize if you're not fearing christ if you're not trusting christ you're not fearing and trusting in god all right so now that we've established the respective 
character and the quality of the wicked and the righteous. Let's go back to our verse and dig a little bit more. What we need to recognize is when you read the Proverbs, you, you need to be willing to linger over each verse for a little bit to really gain the insight that you are intended to have in order to mine the riches of the Proverbs and all the truth that they have in us. The Proverbs are written in such a way that often the first part of the verse is meant to illustrate and clarify and define the second part of the verse and vice versa. The second part is supposed to uh, clarify and define and illustrate the first part. And that's what we have here. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. So we've just seen the contrast between the wicked and the righteous. We place them in juxtaposition to each other, and we saw that there's a very clear difference and distinction between the wicked and the righteous in whom they trust and in how they live, respective to their creator. But specifically, the contrast is also made now in two places. One, the wicked flee when no one is pursuing, and the righteous are as bold as a lion. So what does this indicate? What kind of thing does this indicate in terms of the language that's being used? What is Solomon trying to tell us here? Well, this fleeing when there's no enemy around indicates that you are insecure, fearful of being attacked, paranoid of what might happen to you. You are not confident in your, in your present location and position, so you are ready to flee from that present position because you believe that you're about to be overtaken by someone or something. But what is most important to notice about this verse is that this person is wicked. So it's likely that they're fleeing from their present position because they know deep down they don't belong there. It isn't their position to begin with. So when they hear a little rustling in the forest, they run. And we should already be able to answer why that would be the case for the wicked, right? Based on what we've just briefly talked about. Why do they run when there's no reason? Well, it's because their lives are characterized by unbelief in an ethical conduct that reflects this unbelief. They're living in a way that is contrary to their creator and therefore contrary to reality. Their lives are burdened with sin and with deception and falsehood. So their conscience is fraught with unforgiven sin and guilt. Their out of control mouths have created enemies for themselves. So they constantly fear reprisal. They have spun a web of deception so they can constantly fear getting caught in one of their myriad of lies. Their lives are a swirl of trouble, so the slightest change in the atmosphere sends them running for cover. Paradoxically, as one commentator puts it, because the wicked do not fear God, they live in fear of people. The wicked flees when no one is pursuing them. They are not confident in their present position. And let me just ask you, Is that you this morning? Do you find yourself constantly retreating from confrontation, from speaking the truth and love to friends and family, from sharing the gospel with others? These aren't throwaway questions, brothers and sisters. This kind of cowering, as we've seen, characterizes the wicked, not the righteous. The phrase bold as a lion, on the other hand, gives a picture of one who stands their ground the lion has claimed its position and he knows that it is his he has no reason to fear and he doesn't need to flee he's not afraid of being overtaken by, of, uh, in his present location because it's he knows it's where he belongs and he knows he can withstand any supposed predator or hunter 
When confronted, he stands his ground and he does not retreat. He is confident that he belongs in his pleasant or his present place. Now, why is this? How can the righteous do this? How can they stand their ground like this? Because the righteous are those who walk without guilt before God. Why? Because their sin has been forgiven in the cross of Jesus Christ. They fear God and they know God and they've been able to glean wisdom from his word. They've acquired the truth from his word. In Paul in Ephesians 3 reminds us that they have boldness. The righteous have boldness to go into God's presence. They know him. They know they will not be cast out by him. They have the very thing that grounds their entire life, namely peace with their creator. But they are also, recognize this, remember what we said about the righteous and the wicked in terms of whom they trust and how that bears out in their lives. They not only know God and have their sin forgiven, but they live in a way that they are able to keep a good conscience. They are those who live with integrity so they don't fear getting caught in some scandal or lie. They guard their mouths from speaking harmful or slanderous or shameful things. They love their neighbors and seek to do them good. They fear God and don't, so they don't fear man. In other words, they have kept and continue to maintain a good conscience. So when they hear the snap of the twig in the forest, they don't run for cover. They stand their ground. That's the righteous. So it should go without saying, right? It should go without saying that the Christian life should be a life of holy boldness. Due to our right standing with God in Christ, we should have the boldness to enter into God's presence and the boldness to speak the truth and love to others and hold fast to our convictions. Remember, it's the righteous who are bold as a lion. So let's ask again. You might be wondering, well, Derek, what is boldness? We still need to, to define what boldness is. And as I already mentioned at the beginning of the message, th- this is really important to define what boldness is because we live in a culture where there's lots of cowardice masquerading as courage. There are plenty of people who have fooled themselves into thinking that because they let every opinion fly without discretion, They are bold when, in fact, they're simply too scared to speak the truth in love. You know, it's harder to speak the truth in love than than to just let your opinions fly and to walk out on somebody. Ironically, underneath a rough confrontational nature usually lies cowardice. It is easy to mask the fear of man with ferocity toward man. And especially in a day of social media where you can hide behind a computer and you can fire off missiles into somebody's uh, Facebook feed, people whose, op- whose opinions who you disagree with, and you can say all kinds of things to their face when in reality you would never say those kinds of things or at least say it in the same way when you stood face to face with them. In this kind of culture, we need to define exactly what we mean when we talk about Christian boldness, godly boldness. So what is it? Well, let's first say what it isn't. Okay. What is boldness? What's Christian boldness? It's a character of the righteous. But let's kind of disabuse ourselves of some misconceptions of what 
boldness is. First of all, boldness is not stubbornness over matters of opinion. Boldness is not stubbornness over matters of opinion. It might be easy to mistake boldness for stubbornness, wouldn't it? This is where we need to be very careful. When I talk about standing our ground for Christ and for the truth, I'm referring to issues of biblical principle, not mere preference or personal judgment or even matters of conscience. A person may be very bold and immovable in their opinions, but they may not possess godly boldness because they are not motivated by a conviction of biblical truth. But this isn't Godward boldness necessarily. This is a form of self-centered pride because now you're exalting your opinions to the same level and same status as divine revelation. So boldness is not stubbornness over matters of opinion. Nor is boldness ignorant obstinance. It might be easy to mistake boldness for your inability to admit when you don't know what you're talking about. But this isn't boldness either. This is a symptom of pride. It's no use to hold to position about which you know nothing or know very little. Genuine boldness, here it is, genuine boldness flows from a knowledge of God and of the Scripture. In other words, boldness is rooted in the spiritual inward conviction of truth, not personal prejudice and conjecture. As we'll see in a moment, true boldness is actually rooted in humility. That sound paradoxical? True boldness is actually rooted in humility so that those who are truly bold can actually admit and when they are wrong and recognize when they are presently uninformed. So boldness is not stubbornness over matters of opinion. Boldness is not ignorant obstinance. Boldness is not loudness. You know, I find that the more, the less people know about their position and the less they believe it, the louder they get. Have you ever noticed that? It usually happens on uh, news networks when they're having interviews and they're, having, and they're interviewing people and they're having discussion back and forth. The, the worse the argument is, the louder the decibel goes. You can count on it most of the time. You might think that boldness is measured in how high you ri- raise your voice in the face of opposition, but boldness is not distinguished in the height of our voices, but in the firmness that we hold our positions. And you can have a young, quiet Christian woman who is bold because she holds firmly to her convictions who never raises her voice. It's a matter of conviction, not decibel. Fourthly, boldness is not rudeness or pushiness. See, some of us have a naturally, we might think, bold personality. But don't make the mistake of thinking you're bold for Christ when you're actually, you just get a kick out of pressing people's buttons. Or because it's easy due to your personality to just push your weight around. Again, that's not necessarily boldness for Christ. It's not the boldness that Solomon is talking about here in Proverbs chapter 28. So what is it? What is boldness? Try this on. See what you think. Boldness is the holy conviction that you are standing upon solid ground and you are occupying a position that belongs to you and from which you do not need to remove yourself. Boldness is expressed in our relationship with God and in our speech and conduct with our fellow fellow image bearers, believers and unbelievers. Let's get more specific. Here's a definition. 
Boldness is speaking and living with the Christ-trusting, spirit-endowed conviction that what you are saying and how you are living is right. Let me say that again. Boldness is speaking and living with the Christ-trusting, spirit-endowed conviction that what you are saying and how you are living is right. (laughs) Now, I, I know it's well enough, I know this culture, I think, well enough, to, to, to know that that is going to land on some of our ears is sounding inherently arrogant. Who are you, Derek, to say that you can live and say and do what is right? Unfortunately, it's precisely this kind of thinking that has disabled a number of us from living boldly. See, we're breathing the air of postmodern relativism, and you don't even need to know what that means except to say that People now are no longer uh, believing that universal truth exists. The claim made today and imbibed by many people and even infecting us at some level and especially in our institutions of higher education is that universal truth in the realm of religion and morality simply does not exist. Truth is now determined by individuals and by communities, but the idea of a transcendent truth that is true for all people at all times in all places under all circumstances is simply an outmoded idea of the past to come along and live with the conviction that what you believe and what you say is right is by definition arrogant that is the cultural stream that you are swimming in that i am swimming in and that's a hard stream to swim up into when the claim is made that even claiming that what you're saying and doing is right is inherently arrogant, what do you do? Well, I don't want to be arrogant. Well, let's just understand that, in fact, it is not arrogant. What we learn from Scripture is that the height of arrogance is to rejecting, is rejecting what God has made clear in His Word. That is the height of arrogance. But on the flip side of the coin, there are also plenty of people who, although they're living contrary to God's word, would claim that what they're saying and what they're doing is right. You know, I just I think of the pro-abortion movement with its motto, abortion on demand without apologies, probably the most graphic example or one of the most graphic examples of this God rejecting boldness. You know, interestingly, in the same Proverbs that we've been studying this morning, Proverbs 21, 29 says the wicked put on a bold face. So true godly boldness, something that should characterize All of us, man or woman, adult or child, is it must begin with the gospel. We must first have the conviction that we are right with God on his terms. We must first have the conviction that we are right with God on his terms. Boldness begins with and grows from the root of trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the truth that his life and his death and his resurrection has provided for us the perfect righteousness by faith alone. So now that I stand blameless before God in relation to his law, that I will not be condemned when I stand before him, that I will enter into heaven when I die. What can man do to me? So it starts with this removal of our guilt. The greatest inhibitor to godly boldness is guilt. But that guilt has been removed by the cross of Jesus Christ. So boldness actually begins with Christ-centered humility. True, real, genuine, biblical boldness 
begins with Christ-centered humility. The confession of sin, the relying upon someone else for their righteousness. That's why many in the history of the church, when talking about this boldness, have called it a humble boldness. And that almost kind of sounds paradoxical, doesn't it? But that's the beautiful picture we see, particularly in the person of Jesus Christ, who was humbly bold. See, we are standing upon Christ and his truth and seeking to honor his name, not our own. We are holding a position that is determined and rooted in another, namely Jesus Christ. Humble boldness doesn't fight for its own rights and recognition. It stands up for the truth of the Savior. That's the difference between worldly boldness and godly boldness. One is bold for Christ. The other is bold for self. Interestingly, the word translated bold in our verse today is often translated as trust or security throughout the Old Testament. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't exactly mean trust or security in Proverbs 28.1, but I would argue that this usage in the Old Testament shows us that there's an irreducible connection between trust and faith and security in God and genuine boldness. Furthermore, the word for bold in Proverbs 21.29 is actually a different word than Proverbs 28.1. What does this mean? means the quality of wicked boldness is entirely different. It is a universe apart from the character of godly boldness. So boldness begins and is sustained by faith in the Lord Jesus. And when you have the conviction that you are right with your creator and that guilt no longer weighs upon your shoulders, when you are certain that Christ holds your life in his hands and that he is only doing you good, when you are assured that heaven is yours, you can live with holy boldness. And it's what Christ intends for every Christian. Not just a pastor. Not just the preacher. Not just the street evangelist. Not just the person with the big personality. Not just the person with the broad shoulders. Every Christian. So godly boldness is a humble boldness. It's a happy boldness. It's not a bitter or cynical boldness or an angry boldness. It's a hopeful Boldness, and let me just illustrate this last point from you from, with a little story from church history. Chrysostom was a theologian in the early church. He ministered in the 4th century and died in the 5th century, about 407 A.D. And he was brought before the Roman emperor because he wouldn't give up his Christianity. He wouldn't renounce it. And this made the emperor mad. And he was brought before him, and the emperor said, I will slay you. Chrysostom replied, no, you cannot, for my life is with Christ and God. The emperor threatened, I will take away your treasures. Chrysostom responded, no, you can't do that for in the first place, I have none you know of. My treasure is in heaven and my heart is there. The emperor then warned, but I will drive you away from man and you shall have no friend left. No, said Chrysostom, you can you cannot for I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me. I defy thee. There is nothing you can do to hurt me. Centuries before that, David said in Psalm 56, 11, in God, I trust I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? And again, in Psalm 118, 6, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What's the answer? Ultimately, nothing. Boldness grows from a heart that is freed from the fear of man. Boldness grows from a heart that is freed from the fear of man that's why any christian any christian young or old 
male or female, can be bold. Because all it takes is that the, con- the conviction, the unswerving conviction that you know Christ, you know His truth, and man can only take away your life, which is taking nothing from you at all, ultimately. In the grand scheme of eternity, man can do nothing against me. That is the root of boldness. But we also have to say, because we've already examined here, the wicked flee when no one pursues, and the righteous are as bold as lion, that there's a character quality to this righteous person. So we might add to our definition, because we want to say also that this boldness is guided by the Word of God. And we've, also, we've all already kind of intimated towards this and hinted towards this, but we need to say it again. So let's add to our definition. And that might frustrate you because you've already written down the definition. Who is this guy adding to definitions and making me write down different things later on? Well, I'm sorry, but uh, let's try this. Boldness is speaking and living with Christ-trusting, spirit-endowed conviction that what you are saying and how you are living is right in God's eyes. Right in God's eyes. Again, a person may be bold in how they speak, because and how they live because they are they are convinced they're living rightly but the basis of the conviction in what they're doing is rightness in their eyes right godly boldness flows from the man or the woman who is seeking to do what is right in god's eyes and how do we know what is right in god's eyes how do we know what is right in god's eyes by looking to scripture the word of god and by walking diligently in its truth see some of us lack boldness because we lack conviction some of us lack boldness yea many of us may lack boldness because we lack conviction and we lack conviction because we have not been diligent to strengthen those convictions in the word of god if you are not attending carefully to the preaching and teaching of the word of god at church and at study of at home you will lack conviction and as a result you will lack boldness brothers and sisters if you are not striving in your listening to the Word of God and in reading the Word of God at home to develop solid, sharp conviction as what is what is true, then you have become neglectful and lazy and it will lead to blunted convictions and a lack of boldness. Let me ask you, are you bored of the routine? Are you bored of the routine? Now we hear we got another sermon. We got another Bible study with Sam. Got another Bible study during the week. Are you tired of the routine? When you are tired of the routine, you will not attend carefully to the Word of God. You will take for granted that we have an abundance of Scripture, an abundance of teachers, an abundance of teaching opportunities. It's just going to kind of seep in you by osmosis. I don't need to attend to it carefully. And guess what that leads to? Blunted convictions and, and a lack of boldness. In a church where we treasure and prize the teaching of God's word, it is incumbent upon you to attend diligently to that word, to believe it, to take it in and to apply it. How many of us lack boldness because we lack conviction and how many of us lack conviction because we have set aside the careful listening to the word of God. Just because we sit in here for an hour does not mean we have attended to the word of God. Let us not become bored of the routine. God, help us when that has been, been, uh, been the case. Well, we've already noted this. The righteous are not those who merely profess faith in the Lord and study His Word. 
our lives reflect this profession and this study by the way we conduct ourselves. And this is not talking about any kind of perfection, but in order to have boldness, we must have a good conscience. And keeping a good conscience involves constantly refreshing our minds and our hearts with the death and resurrection of Christ, confessing our sins to God who cleanses us from all unrighteousness and seeking to walk faithfully in the word of God. In other words, godly boldness can only grow in the soil of personal holiness, right? If we're not striving to live righteously in every way, the Proverbs depict the righteous life. And you know, the, the, the Puritans used to call this universal obedience. Not a word we, we don't usually put those two words together. Universal obedience, what is this? This is a willingness to obey God in everything, he says. In fact, they argue, argue that it, in, if you're unwilling to ar- obey in one place, you won't be willing to obey in any place. But if we're not striving to live righteously in every way the Proverbs depict the righteous life, fear of God, integrity, honesty, contentment, and an unswerving commitment to the truth and so on, we will find that we consistent, consistently lack boldness. Why? Because the conscience is defiled. It's much like if you were to come to a bridge and you need to take a step out onto that bridge. You needed to take a step out into speaking a bold word to a brother or a sister. Standing courageously. And if that bridge has become weak and corroded over years of a defiled conscience, when you step out over that bridge, there will be fear that it will break and fall through. So you are less likely to then step out onto that bridge, right? But if over years, as the book of Hebrews tells us, over years of training your mind and your conscience to cultivate sharp convictions and to cultivate integrity, when you step out onto that bridge, it will be solid, it will be steel, it will be ready for you to take that step. But that only happens as we are cultivating this holiness in our life. Again, I just want to repeat, this does not mean that we must have some sort of Christian perfection before we have boldness. That's not at all what we would argue. It's not what we ar- I argued last sermon that I had the opportunity to preach. We will wrestle with sin our whole lives long. And to the degree that you don't think you will, then you're going to set yourself up for grave disappointment and even disaster. So we're not talking about perfection. But it does mean that those who are unwilling to do the hard work of holiness may still make attempts at boldness because you know you need to. The Bible calls you to it. But it won't be a real boldness. When it comes to our relationship with God, we might presume we can kind of just waltz into God's presence through Christ with unrepentant and ongoing sin, but we won't find real fellowship with God. And when it comes to boldness with others, our conduct will often be harsh, overbearing, bombastic, unfeeling, unloving, and ultimately unhelpful if we are trying to cultivate boldness in an atmosphere of a lack of holiness. When one makes an attempt at boldness without the requisite righteous life, their boldness will often be inconsistent. They'll be dogmatic in one moment and running like a coward in the next. Only the righteous are bold as a lion. So it is no coincidence. It is no coincidence at all as I read the Bible that the illustration 
of boldness is a lion. And the supreme example of boldness is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen? If you want to see holy boldness, it's, it's fun to have an illustration from church history, but look no further than the Lord Jesus Christ. The one in whom you place your trust is the one who shows you what it looks like to live boldly. To live a life of God-pleasing, spirit-dependent, humble boldness. How would we describe Jesus? He was gentle yet uncompromising with the truth. But his commitment to the truth didn't cause him to lash out at others, did it? It actually caused him to speak the truth without compromise. And it took him all the way to a cross where he, cross where he gave himself for others. Is your boldness a self-serving boldness? Or a God-glorifying, others-serving boldness. Jesus Christ, in holding his ground, sought the glory of the Father, not his own glory. Jesus Christ was impartial, unmoved by flattery, never rude, but always ready to speak the truth in love, even in the face of fierce opposition. That is godly boldness. Gentleness, yet a commitment to the truth, an unswerving commitment to the truth for the glory of God and the benefit of His people. That is boldness. And because Jesus Christ is both the very foundation for our boldness and the example of what boldness really looks like, this call for boldness is a call to all Christians. I've already said it. It is not the prerogative of a certain personality type it is the calling for every christian this is very very important because i can i i I can see it already that those of us who have a more meek you might say personality who are more withheld in our personality may think that this boldness is not so much for us it's for someone else But here's what we need to understand. Whether you are a pastor or a janitor, a politician or a doctor, whether you're young or old, whether you are well-built or small of stature, healthy or feeble, black or white, Chinese or Indian, um, you can possess and are called to possess spirit-wrought boldness. The text doesn't say the righteous man or the righteous pastor is bold as a lion. It says the righteous are bold as a line. And if you are in Christ, that's you. That's you. So young man, young high schooler, young junior high student, you can be bold for Christ. You can cultivate a character of of humble boldness, of gentleness towards others and an uncompromising approach to the truth. Young ladies, you can be bold for Christ's sake. Moms, you can be bold for Christ's sake. It's a calling for all of us. So let's review briefly and just add a little bit of application before we close. All four of these are begin with the letter P. Why? Well, because it's just fun, I guess. Um, first thing is, we've already talked about it, place your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and secure your eternal future with Him. Place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I came here today hoping and praying that God would 
have his hand of salvation upon this body today. And I pray that if you don't know Christ this morning, that you would truly recognize the holiness of God, your creator, and recognize your sin before him and that he has provided you everything you need for your salvation in the person of Jesus Christ. He died the penalty that you deserve and he rose again to secure your justification and right standing with God. And all he requires is repentance from sin and faith in him. You might be thinking, is repentance a work? No, repentance is what true faith does. When you behold the wonder and beauty of Jesus Christ and you behold the the worthlessness of the direction that you are headed and presently going, you turn to Jesus. That's repentance. So when you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you secure your eternal future, this provides you with boldness that will, with God, that will in turn give you boldness with other people. This is not an arrogant boldness, but a confidence in God's presence that you can fully approach him in Christ without fear of judgment and condemnation. Boldness before God will flow out into boldness before others. One must come before the other. So that's place. Place your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Second, pursue practical holiness. Boldness can only grow out of the healthy soil of a good conscience. I can't stress this enough. We should be taking pains to keep a good conscience. Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8 and 1 Corinthians 10 make this point so clearly that we must be laboring day after day to keep a good conscience, to not let sin encroach and creep in and take an upper hand, to not allow sin to last long in our minds and hearts, but to confess it, to repent of it and turn from it. If we've allowed the weeds of sin to grow up and choke out the word, it will be difficult to speak and act with boldness around family and friends, both believers and unbelievers. So place your trust in the Lord Jesus. Pursue practical holiness. Number three, perfect your convictions through faith and obedience. And what I mean here is simply sharpen. Again, I've, I mentioned that boldness doesn't require Christian perfection. That's not what I mean here. I mean sharpen, perfect, sharpen your convictions through faith and obedience. How are your convictions sharpened? Well, we talked about they're cultivated as you as you dig in and you take uh, you or attend to the word of God so that you develop convictions of what is true from the word of God so that you are not moved from those convictions. But how are those convictions sharpened? Hebrews chapter five tells us that those are sharpened. Our senses are sharpened through the constant exercise of faith and obedience. Believe the word of God, take it in and do what it says. Don't be neglectful, be proactive. Listen carefully to the word of God on Sunday mornings at Bible studies and when you read scripture at home. Because boldness flows from conviction, our convictions must be sharpened by constant use. So believe the word when you hear it and do what it says. And finally, pray for boldness. Nothing that I have said so far should lead us to believe that boldness is an act, a mere act of willpower. I hope that's not been communicated today. It begins in trusting in Jesus Christ. It is cultivated and sustained through faith in Christ and the development of a righteous life, living with integrity. But it is ultimately, as every Christian virtue is, every Christian grace is, it is ultimately a gift from God. 
It is ultimately a gift from God. So we must pray and pray diligently for boldness. Don't be ashamed to pray for it. Don't be ashamed when you recognize that you lack it. Don't be ashamed when you recognize perhaps your personality or your upbringing or the culture in which you were raised or whatever it might be makes you more liable to being less bold. Don't be ashamed of that. Bring that before the Lord and ask him for boldness. That's why I had Tim read the passage from Acts today. What did the believers do? What did the apostles do? Well, I know the Lord. I'm just going to go out and be bold. They prayed for boldness, didn't they? Of all the people that could have had the, the, you would think the ability to just step out in boldness, they're the ones that are praying for it in the early church. So by all means, brothers and sisters, pray for boldness. Pray that God would provide you with the boldness to speak the word with clarity, without fear, for God's glory, and with love for your fellow image bearers, again, both believers and unbelievers. And the reason I keep saying both believers and unbelievers is because there will be times, perhaps often, when we have to, like Paul, confront a brother or confront a sister. And that's going to require a significant amount of boldness because we'll have to speak the truth and we'll have to speak it in love. We don't want to take corners off the truth. We don't want to take corners off of what we say. And so we must speak, be willing to speak the truth in love to both believers and unbelievers. And so with that, with that exhortation to pray, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, the wicked flee when no one pursues them because they are not grounded in the love of Christ, in the forgiveness of sins, in the cross and guilt removed. And their lives reflect this lack of faith and trust and fear. But the righteous are bold as a lion. What a picture. I pray, God, as our hearts are stirred to step out in boldness, that you would give us the grace, that you would give us the grace to walk in boldness, that you would cultivate this in our lives. If there are those here who are not trusting in you for salvation or who are lacking assurance of their salvation, would you grant them assurance? If they belong to you, grant them assurance. And if there are those of us who are neglecting the word and be going, be becoming bored of the routine, will you wake us up? And if there are those of us who are lacking in integrity and we're letting things go in our pursuit of holiness, will you wake us up that we might pursue righteousness in the fear of God, that our lives might be ones of integrity, of holiness, that we might step out in boldness with a good conscience, knowing that upon the, the, the position that we stand, we are meant to be there, we should be there, and we shall not be moved from there by your grace. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.